Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring sermons drawn from our pastoral staff and various guest preachers. starting a new sermon series together. It's called Decaffeinated Christianity? As in, is our Christianity something that helps us to stay asleep at night, or is it something that keeps us awake? Today, we're going to be starting our series by looking at um, Luke, and we're going to be in Luke for the remainder of this series as we look closely at Jesus' life, at who Jesus says he is, and at who Jesus is asking you and me and Christians throughout time to be in this world. So I invite you to look with me at Luke 4, verses 16, and you'll notice that this is at the beginning, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry that right before this, Jesus has been in the desert, he's been alone, and it says that he begins his ministry by going to Galilee, and that's where we pick up right now. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. God, we long to understand your scripture with wisdom and insight. We long to know who you are and who you call us to be. Sometimes when we feel like we have it all figured out, almost all of the time, that is the point where you come and turn us upside down. So God, we pray that we will be turned upside down today, not in a way that is upsetting, but in a way that is life-giving, that reminds us that everything that we see here on earth, all that we accept as normal, is not normal to you, that your kingdom is still coming here, being born in our hearts and born in our world. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and courage to go. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'd like for you to answer this question 
honestly and quietly within yourself. Who is Jesus Christ to you? As a pastor, I have been privy to all sorts of answers to that question, even though it's not something that I often ask people out loud. Over the years, people have spontaneously shared with me their thoughts on who Jesus is in the congregations that I've served, but they've also shared their opinions with me while I've been seated next to them on an airplane, or while I've been waiting in line for the DMV, or for a cup of coffee, or to get into a gym class. They have told me about who they think Jesus is when we meet in hospitals or in corporate offices or on street corners. So I'll tell you that the most common thing that I hear about who Jesus is from the people that I meet in the world is most people tend to believe that Jesus Christ is a good man. Most people don't seem to be sure about Jesus being God incarnate or the son of God or the son of man. It seems as though that language is really confusing to a lot of people and I don't blame them. But most people feel like Jesus was someone who did bring light into darkness. A lot of people believe that Jesus was a great moral or philosophical teacher akin to Buddha or the Dalai Lama or even Mahatma Gandhi. Rarely do people tell me that they believe that Jesus and his teachings bring harm to society. There appears to be an acceptance that following what Jesus said won't necessarily steer someone wrong, even though we know from recent studies that there's a rapidly growing belief that Jesus' followers, that Christians, are increasingly missing the point of what Jesus taught and what Jesus did while he was here on earth. For a lot of people who have been in the church, perhaps for a long time. Jesus is first a person of comfort in our lives. Jesus is the one who assures us of God's love, that God has a plan for us throughout eternity, that we will be forgiven over and over again and loved and accepted by God for who we are without any exception. And I tell you, I do believe that Jesus is all of these things. An extraordinary man who was also God incarnate. An unparalleled teacher of God's truth who embraces us just as we are but does not leave us as we are. The original bearer of good news that death will not have the last word and that eternity is not reserved for a few but is open to all who are willing to follow Jesus through its doors. But if we take our scripture for this morning seriously, then we might see that Jesus defines himself differently than we are inclined to define him. Jesus isn't just a comfort meant to soothe us. He isn't just a teacher meant to instruct us. He isn't just a healer who lived 2,000 years ago. According to his own testimony, Jesus came with the intention to change the world, 
to turn the world on its head and to turn us on our heads with it. That's what Jesus is saying in our scripture passage for today. See, according to Luke, Jesus has just come from being tempted by the devil for 40 days in the desert when he returns to Galilee to begin his ministry and he starts in Nazareth in his hometown. And when he stands up to participate in the synagogue, surrounded by his family and friends, by his aunties and uncles, he reads the words of Isaiah 61. Those were words that were written first for those weary Israelite people. These were words of promise intended for the nation who had just returned after many long years in exile, people who knew beyond the doubt that they had endured God's judgment and were now waiting to experience God's full restoration. These specific words from Isaiah that Jesus read were words that they had clung on to that promised them that the day was coming when God would return the earth and make everything right. And the first century Jews who were sitting with Jesus in that synagogue, his aunties, his uncles, his friends, his family, his siblings, all of those people were still waiting for those words to be fulfilled then too. It hadn't yet happened. And so when Jesus reads this passage, just to put it in context, it's as though he is reading one of their most beloved passages of scripture. It would be like me standing up here saying, for God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. Or if I came here and I said, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. As Jesus reads, he is saying something that everyone wants to hear. He is saying something that everyone hopes for in earnest, the thing that people have put their absolute faith in. He is saying something that unites them in dreaming for what the future will be. One day, good news is going to be brought to the poor. One day, those in captivity are going to be set free. One day, those who are blind will see and those who are oppressed will be free and the year of the Lord's favor is going to be here. One day, far in the future, they have something to look forward to. That's what Jesus was reading. And then he sits down and everyone looks at him. And he looks right back and he says, today's that day. Jesus believed that he was the one to fulfill over 700 years of waiting because he believed that God's fullest expression of restoration was in him. I know that we have heard this a lot. We know. And so sometimes now we've been 2,000 years plus after that resurrection, we can be tempted to wrap these words or wrap our faith around us like a security blanket. 
We most quickly turn to Jesus when we need peace in moments of conflict or comfort, in moments of turmoil or hope, in moments of despair. We often turn to Jesus to help us to sleep better at night. And Jesus is good for that when we need it. But that's not all he is to us. If that is all that Jesus is to us, someone that helps us sleep at night in the face of our fears and our worries, then we are missing who Jesus fully is. The Apostle Paul, he tries to make this argument in Corinthians. He says this, and I'm just going to invite you to just hang in there with me. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, then we, of all people, must be pitied. C.S. Lewis tries to take what Paul is saying there to the Corinthians, and he puts it in his own words in his book, Mere Christianity. Lewis says this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, Lewis says. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall on his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any of this patronizing nonsense about how he is a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He concludes what he's saying by saying this. Now it seems to me obvious that Jesus was either a lunatic or a liar, neither a lunatic or a liar. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that Jesus is Lord. Friends, Jesus didn't come with the sole intention to help us all sleep better at night. Rather, if we really take Jesus at his word, It appears as though Jesus came to earth to keep us awake. If we take Jesus at his word, then it appears that Jesus came to keep us tossing and turning at the wonder and possibility that all we hope for is not locked away far in the future or locked distantly in the clouds, but that all we hope for is right here at our fingertips, in our hearts. Friends, I believe that Jesus came to keep us awake at night. And for thousands of people over the last two millennia, 
They were kept awake at night by the claims and promises of Jesus. It didn't matter if they were fishermen or tax collectors or prostitutes or widows or children or Pharisees. Jesus had a habit of waking people up from their blind acceptance that the world is as it is and as it should be. And then Jesus keeps them awake so that they can partner with God in bringing in the kingdom. I know we know some of these people who, whose faith kept them awake at night, who went on to use their lives to work to align the world with God's kingdom. People like William Wilberforce, who took England out of the slave trade, or Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who stood his ground against the Nazis and lost his life, or Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who used nonviolence to bring more equality into our society, or Mother Teresa, who dedicated her life to care for those who were most quickly discarded by Indian society. For each of these people, it was their faith in who Jesus is that motivated them to do what they did. You can probably list more that I haven't listed now. But it doesn't always feel right to reference the most famous people who followed Christ. Because not all of us are going to be Bonhoeffers or MLKs or Mother Teresas, and yet we're still called to act awake with our faith. Jesus doesn't ask us to be famous. He just asks us to take him seriously right where we are. Jesus asks us to toss and turn over the opportunities in our lives where we can participate in freeing the captives, where we can give sight to the blind, and where we can bring good news to the poor. So I'm going to give you just one example I want to tell you about a man named John Lang. When John came of age in the early 1900s, he inherited his father's small construction firm in Carlisle, England. And in his father's day, this construction firm had done fairly well due to the boom in the country that was caused by the Franco-Prussian War in 1870. But once the wartime died, ended, the firm found that it really had no big contracts and no great prospects. John worked with his father as a local construction company owner and went on to marry Beatrice in 1910, and they had two sons who had a grandson, and they lived a very quiet and normal life. One day, John had the idea of expanding the firm and opening an office in London in 1926. And under John's leadership, the firm slowly became this national enterprise that culminated in rebuilding the Coventry Cathedral, which Lang himself was able to attend in 1962. Like several men of his era, Lang, he was just a decent guy. He was a decent businessman. He had an entrepreneurial spirit who, through hard work and wise choices, built a company that still exists today. But Lang was not just a good guy. He wasn't just a decent businessman. Lang was also kept up at night by the claims of Jesus Christ. And so, 
throughout his time, just in the space that he was in, he regularly examined his life to find the places where Jesus could transform what always was into what is eternally meant to be. History recalls John Lang as being ahead of his time and providing for his employees. He was among the first to give holidays with pay. He was among the first who provided employees a company pension. He was among the first who offered bonus payments, all of which eventually became standard in the construction industry as a result of his leadership. He encouraged shareholding by employees. And in 1922, when that company was still meager in means, he gave almost 40% of his shareholding in the business to a charitable foundation. He didn't do all of this because he wanted to be famous. He didn't do all of this because it felt like he had that amount of money or opportunity to spare. He did all of it because he was Christian. He was kept awake at night by Jesus' promises that we are intended for life abundant. And so he chose to live his life in full by living it in service to others. Friends, do we have the kind of faith that puts us to sleep? Or do we have the kind of faith that stirs us awake. We don't have to preach like Peter. We don't have to pray like Paul. But we, are we examining the places in our lives where Jesus wants us to be part of the kingdom transformation? Do we live in a way that takes Jesus seriously when he proclaims that he is the one who fulfills all and every hope. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking closely at Jesus in the book of Luke, and we are going to be hoping that as we look at Jesus, as we listen to his claims, as we watch how he lived and what he said, that we will develop the kind of faith that doesn't just look for comfort when we need it for the most, but that keeps us awake for all that God is intending for us and for all that God is intending for the world. I hope you will join me in stirring a little at night and wondering, what is God asking of you? Amen. You have been listening to a production of San Marino Community Church. Find our worship services on YouTube or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify.